Guess who's back? It's the real WrestlePro. Ginger Jedi mind tricks teach you all that he knows. Had nobody in charge and he's got all the news. Real talk, straight shooting interviews. Join the queue, put you in a submission. 20 bucks for Nelson. He shows making flights, still got time for a podcast. Luck never stops and he's gonna let you know that. Welcome to the Pat Buck Show. I'm here with, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say co-host because you're gonna be here all the time, if not uh, every week or so. Uh, here with KM, and today's a special episode, you know, because uh, we initially it's about wrestling training, all things wrestling, but we want to do some outside the box things, have some outside the box interviews, and I think we have that today as we sit down and talk to. Colby Chaos Covington, who's a good friend of Kevin Kevin's. Uh, you know, I've had the privilege of working with him, so we'll get to explore. You know, for for regular wrestling fans that may not be familiar with MMA, because I know most of the people that listen to this show or watch this show are predominantly professional wrestling fans. But here's a guy that's tearing up the UFC, the number one heel, dare I say, right? 100%. Using professional wrestling psychology to make himself the most well-known name in MMA and it's just completely on the rise. So I think that if you're unfamiliar with Colby Covington, which you should know who he is by now, I think that it's gonna be kind of a interesting look at someone who's taking the professional wrestling world, using it at a different craft, and finding tremendous success, and the guy is a beast. He's an incredible athlete, and so much fun talking to him, so I think uh, we're ready for the interview, right? Yeah, we're ready for the interview. I like how you say, though, that um, you're going to start introducing me as a co-host instead of every week, because I think after a while we get, we're here with our special guest, K K Kevin, again. Sorry, this is the 13th week in a row, but <laughs> our guest is Kevin. Every week you should hype it up, though. You should say, we're here with this awesome new guest. It's amazing. I'm so psyched to meet him. And then the camera pans, and it's Kevin again. Thought, thought about adding like a small, like, <laughs> papbookshow, Pat dot, 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 and then with KM. <laughs> I, did, I didn't think it would, it, would, it, would, it would work this way, but enjoy the interview. Welcome, everybody. We have a special guest today. Uh, some may say former. I know that both of us say current welterweight champion of the UFC, the great Colby Chaos Covington. Colby, Colby thanks for being with us, man. Appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Pat. I appreciate it, man. It's good to see your, uh, your face again since the, the days at WrestlePro. That's right. You had your... Uh, do you consider that your professional wrestling debut? I know you did some things in Impact, but I mean that was uh, quite the contest we had for you here in New Jersey. Yeah, I would definitely consider that my professional pro wrestling debut. That was the first time I actually got to get in the ring and get hands on and and make the match about me. You know, the the other match in Impact was kind of an angle we had going with Bobby Lashley, and you know, we, we I was kind of more behind the scenes. The show and the star of the show was all about Bobby Lashley, so to come to WrestlePro and, and make it all about me, you know, it was a lot of fun. So that was definitely my pro debut. So my, my expertise are with pro wrestling. Kevin's going to talk to MMA stuff because I'm kind of a, you know, I pay attention to MMA. I know very little bit, but my pro wrestling is kind of the main thing. There's been a lot of talk about you wanting to, wanting to or planning to cross over to the pro wrestling world, namely WWE, when you're, when you feel like you're done fighting. Is that what what is your plan what's your goal and is any any of that true well the last most of it is true but the last part's not true you said when i'm done fighting and 
I want to make it clear that I don't want to transition to pro wrestling when I'm done fighting. I, I feel like I'm a hard worker and, and I'm willing, I can do both at the same time. I think I can be a UFC world champion and I can be a WWE world champion. So I'd like to bo- do them both at the same time. I love to work hard. You know, I'm a blue collar American who puts it all on the line every single day for his country. And, you know, I just I don't think it would be that hard of a transition to do both at the same time. You know, I appreciate that because a lot of, you know, all respect to pro athletes out there. A lot of guys get into wrestling and they say, oh, I'll do that when I'm done. I think you, you know, I don't know if a lot of fans or, or people know that. I think you really do have a big profound respect for pro wrestling and the fact that you'll treat it as a sport and not be like, oh, when I'm done with MMA, then I'll do that. You're like, hey, bring it on. I'll do both. I got to ask you, though, as far as, you know, I know you're about to go, I'm assuming during this whole time you're training constantly. Have you done pro wrestling training? Is it something that you want to kind of incorporate into your current MMA stuff? You know, what's the mix or balance on that? Have you even, you know, uh, done both yet? Yeah, you know, I got a I got a great team behind me. You know, I got a guy named John Hardnett, my good friend, and he's big into the pro wrestling world, and he's constantly helping me with, you know, my transition to pro wrestling and, and learning the moves and, and finding a finisher move and, and just learning the art of wrestling and the enter- entertainment aspect of it. So, you know, it's, it's a work in progress every day, but, you know, that's the thing with me is I, I'm not afraid of hard work and I'm not afraid to fail and I'm going to keep coming back and I'm going to keep working harder until I overcome every obstacle in my way and, and climb to the top of the WWE mountain. I saw recently there's been kind of rumblings between you and current WWE champion Drew McIntyre, who, you know, it's kind of cool. I'm friends with both of you guys. What, what are your, is your goal just to go right in there and compete full-time? Like, could you see yourself being, you know, because the, the wrestling schedule is way di- obviously different from the MMA fighting worlds. You're the expert. I'm not. From from what I gather, what do you think is the most amount of times you can fight in a year for MMA being prepared for contests? Is it three, four? Or am I completely wrong with that? No, I think you you hit the nail right on the head. I, I would say about three to four. Usually guys like to take like eight to 16 weeks for training camps. So, you know, it's, it's all the threshold of the fighter of what they feel comfortable with. But, you know, I'd say about three to four fights a year. But the level I'm at right now, I'd say probably closer to one or two a year. You know, you got guys that, you know, are sitting out. They, they really want to leverage their position. They're negotiating with the UFC. It's it's just a bicker and, and back and forth battle with the UFC for when, you know, top guys are going to get back in there and get paid adequately. So, you know, that's that's why I feel like it frees up a lot of a lot of time for me to transition to WWE wrestling because no one wants to fight me right now. I'm begging to fight. I'm ready to fight next weekend. I'm ready to fight next month. But no one wants to fight. So if no one wants to fight, I figure I pick a fight with, with the biggest and baddest mood man in the world right now, Drew McIntyre, man. He's, you know, he's Goliath, you know, and I think it's a perfect fight and a matchup, David versus Goliath. And, and let me make it clear that why I say fight him, because originally I expressed my interest to come over to, to WWE and to pro wrestling and to wrestle him, but he threw that all out the window. He didn't want a wrestling match. He wants a fight. So, you know, I, I figure, you know, I don't know if the WWE is going to want the blood on their hands, you know, and, and I don't know if they're going to want to sanction this. So if they don't want to sanction it, let's go do it in his home country of Europe. Let's go do it over in, in Saudi, you know, and, and let's get this fight going, man, because, you know, he called me out. He said some things that, you know, that don't sit well with me. And, and, and everybody knows how big my heart is, how big my cardio is. And I'm going to find a way to beat him up. And yeah, he's big. Yeah, he's scary. But 
You know, he's not going to be that big when he's on his back. You know, I'm a national champ wrestler, and he will be on his back, and he won't be seven feet tall when he's on his back. So say, say this match does happen. It's you versus Drew McIntyre and whatever pay-per-view or, or uh, event that could happen with that, and you successfully become WWE champion. And hypothetically, you know, at the same time, you have everything going on with UFC. Do you see yourself being that guy going to, you know, Monday Night Raw every single week? Do you, do you think you could really take on that much training and responsibility? Is that something you're shooting for? I don't think I could take it on. I know I could take it on. You know, I, I train very hard every single day, six hours a day in the gym and, you know, for mixed martial arts. And, and that takes a lot of, a lot of time and work and, and energy. And, and I know I, I could, I could handle the WWE schedule. Yeah, it's tough, man. Those guys, it's not easy to schedule you guys have, you know, I, I've talked to many pro wrestlers from Bobby to Kurt Angle to, you know, to, to you and, and, and many other guys that were at impact and, and your guys' schedule is rigorous. You know, you guys are traveling around the world. You know, you got your Monday Night Raw. You got your Friday Night SmackDown. You got your pay-per-views every couple months. So I'm, I'm not saying it's going to be an easy schedule, but I'm saying I'm, I'm prepared for a hard schedule. And, and you know, I, I know that I'm ready for anything thrown my way. Very cool. Well, Colby, when, uh, when you make that decision to, to fully engulf yourself in professional wrestling, I only hope you consider me for your training camp so I could so – I could, you know, can't teach you how to fight, but maybe I can, I, can, I can teach you a little bit to take on Drew McIntyre. I'm going to turn it over to KM because I know he's got a ton of questions. Colby! What's up, buddy? KM, what's up, buddy? Long time no see since the day in uh, Manhattan. Well, yeah, since that. But uh, so, okay, on my end, I'm going to more shoot the breeze with you rather than kind of conduct an interview style because the people that do know me, they know I sing your praises. They know we're kind of we're kind of friends. We know each other from Impact, so I'm just gonna take it back for a hot second, back to the Impact days. I remember I didn't expect I didn't know any of you guys were even coming over. I didn't know American Top Team was coming over. I knew obviously Bobby was doing Bellator. I knew Bobby was fighting. He was also training with at Coconut Creek. But then I remember showed up one day at TV, and then all you guys are just wearing. Actually, I'm wearing it right now. You guys are wearing ATT stuff left and right. I'm like, what? I think Jeff Munson was the first one I saw. And I saw him from a distance, and I recognized the tattoo on the back of his neck. And I looked, literally, and he was far away. And I'm like, I remember asking Brad Stutter, I was like, that Jeff Munson? I said, wait, what the hell's going on right now? And then I just see all you guys lining up. It's like, wait, that's Gleason? That's, like, that's Covington? I was like, what the hell? Because a lot of pro wrestlers pretend they're MMA fans, and then you talk to them, and their level of MMA stops at Ronda, Brock, and Connor. But then, like, there's myself and maybe just Braxton were the only two that were like really deep MMA fans where we're like, oh my God, we're, we're marking out. You guys are marking out to be in wrestling. You're like, this is the greatest shit ever. And then I'm like, this is the greatest crap ever. And uh, I even remember uh, right before my match, no, right after my match, Munson came over to me and he said, hey, you mind if I get a picture with you? Like fanboying about wrestling. I was like, that's awesome. I took a picture. I was like, hey, real quick, can I get a picture with you too? <laughs> so uh, that, then the connection started, and that's how you and I got to know each other because, again, your love for pro wrestling, my love for MMA, and then, then we became buddies, and then I obviously I kept in contact. And So that I remember before your buzz, you were just on the roster. Not a lot of people knew you, the diehards, myself. We've heard of you. We've seen you fight and stuff like that. But... Take me to, I believe, what, October 28, 2017 was the day, correct? Yeah, that's the day? correct. That sounds okay, and I remember you telling me beforehand, you saying, uh, 
I said, what's next? What's next? And finally, when you got the news, you're like, I think it's, I think it's Damian Maya. And at that point, I was Maya, what was he ranked at the time? Seven, six, five? How high? No, was he, was, he was number two. He just he just cleared the division. He he was on a seven fight win streak and he just fought Woodley and lost the decision for the world title. So he was number oh. two in the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So I remember that, and that was right there. That was going to be the turning point because that was going to really shoot you up the rankings at that point. Were you at that point? Were you in the top ten? Were you ranked? You already ranked, right? Were yeah, I was won? number. I was number seven or eight at that time. I think seven. Okay, that, gotcha. So that was a big one, and I remember you telling me the fight's going to be in Brazil and stuff. And you said you you always like to think of promos beforehand and things you say because you're you always have that wrestling in you. And then I love that about you, though, because you're not thinking, like, if I win this fight, you're like, when I win this fight, this is what I'm going to say. You're already, like, two steps ahead. You're already planning out the promo. Like, the fight's the aftermath before it even happens. So you were telling me, like, yo, I'm going to I have this crazy stuff, crazy stuff. But you even told me afterwards what happened in the cage in Brazil, you didn't plan that part. The, the thing that took you from here and catapulted you all the way through the roof. And that, that was a dangerous scenario, correct? Because they moved your hotel, security, like, ex walk me through why you said what you said and the aftermath and how you, your safety on getting home and everything that, that transpired. Because that was wild. I remember watching it. I was like, no, 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 no. Throwing, they, were throwing they were throwing glass bottles at you, right? That's true. You know, and first let me start by saying, you know, I, want, I appreciate your knowledge and input that I got from you at Input, you know the wheels were turning in my head when we talked backstage and you were telling me some of the things that I need to do and bring in more of an entertainment aspect into the UFC that the, the WWE and pro wrestling presents. And, you know, that's completely changed my game. But Wait, is, hold on. Are you actually giving me some credit, credit for Colby wow. Covington's current shtick? Hey, man, I, I remember everything, man. <laughs> you telling me some of the things and, and give me some input. We're eating at the at the, the buffet style table, you know, and you were giving, you were feeding some lines off me and, you know, I appreciate that, man. I, I'll never forget that. So Cam, you're, you're a good buddy of mine for life. Oh my God. Yeah. Wow. Can we wrap the, the, the interviews wrapped? We're good to go. <laughs> we're good. That's all we need. We got what we need. came to see. <laughs> all right, continue. Sorry, buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Brazil going to Brazil, man. I just, I remember all week, like fight week, like the fans didn't embrace me. You know, I was fighting their legend, uh, Damian Maia, number two in the world. You know, Brazil's great hope for a world champion at the time. And I'm this American brash kid coming over there. And, you know, I just remember how they treated me. They were screaming at me, you vibe more, hey, you vibe more, hey, which means you will die. I mean, people were, like, grabbing me when I was going to open workouts, like, throwing stuff at me. And I'm like, man, this is a third world fucking country. Why are these people wasting their $5 hot dogs, their $5 coffees, $5 beers? Like, they're not rich enough to afford these these things, you know. Why why are they wasting them by throwing them at me? I've done nothing wrong to them. And and then you know I'm walking out to the fight. You know they're throwing their stuff. You know I got my flag. They pull my flag into the, like the stands. And I was just so fucking heated. I remember walking in that fight. I'm like I'm gonna mess this dude up. And then I'm gonna dish it right back out to these fans. Let's see if they can take it. And dude, after I and I did exactly what I said. I said I was gonna leave Damian Maya in a pool of his own blood. I left him in a pool of his own blood, basically conscious at the unconscious at the end of round three. And I got on that mic, man. And I can't really say I didn't practice any of those lines. It just came out naturally and just it was on the spot. And I was just like, you know what? All these ideas came together through years of pro wrestling training, from years of of watching pro wrestling growing up. And I just spit a, a great promo that I never thought would get over so well. And I remember leaving and like 
like 20 security guards gathered me like, Kobe, all right, we're going. They're all ducking my head. We're sprinting out of the arena. The whole arena's exploding, yelling. They all rush to the to the one side of the arena where my tunnel is. And they're all just like 20,000 fans, each on this side and this side. They're not filled out in the arena. They all just came to my arena so they could scream at me, throw their, throw their bottles at me, throw anything that they had, any objects they had in their hands. And I was just like, whoa, man, that was serious. <laughs> I got backstage and I was just like, I was telling my coaches, I was like, holy shit, man, did that, did that go as good as I really think it went? Did I really just... <laughs> Did I really just piss off a whole entire country? And he's Wait. like, dude, I don't think you realize that that's like the, the greatest promo in like WW or in, in UFC history. The highest rated, uh the highest rated thing on Fox Sports on their post fight show. I mean, it was it was a hit, you know, and and then immediately the UFC comes to me and they're like, Hey man, we gotta get all these secret security. Uh, you're going to be escorted to a new hotel. You're going to have armed security guards on you, three of them, all times of the night until you leave tomorrow. And they're going to they're going to cover you up. You know, I remember having to wear glasses and a hat and put the hoodie on in these in these uh, Secret Service Brazilian guards. You know, they they were armed. They they brought me to the airport. They literally walked me onto the plane. Like they couldn't just let me go with the airplane. They had to walk me onto the plane. So, yeah, it, it was crazy, man. That that made my career. Well, I also remember uh, when I, I texted you after the fight, and I said, I think I might have even said, yo, are you alive or holy shit? Like, uh, and I think I said, I said, where are you now? And they, they changed your hotel room, and then they had uh, Secret Service, like, outside your hotel room, right? Yeah, Secret Service. There was three of them uh, all night. You know, they had to stay at my, because I didn't leave, my flight didn't leave till the next day, so... There was armed security dudes with, with, with guns, and they were sitting outside my room patrolling the halls all night long until I left. <laughs> so ab right, after, right after the promo, when you were walking out and you heard, obviously you wanted the heat and stuff like that. And I remember as you were about to start, uh, when they were in the ring, they were about to interview, right when you were about to talk, it looked like you had something else to say. And then when you heard the boos, your mind just went from like, hold on, you directed it right there, almost like in a wrestling like in a, in a wrestling environment where you're playing to the crowd, but you were legit pissed. You're like, yo, who are you to talk to me like that? And you, that's when you hit him with the filthy animals line. And yo, dude, not only that, not um, upon leaving, when you heard that nuclear heat and you saw them throwing the bottles, at any point were you scared of your safety or at that point were you seeing dollar signs galore? You know, I, I never got scared. You know, I know everybody around me was scared. My dad was freaking out. I put my dad in my corner of that fight, and usually it's all coaches. But I was like, you know what, Dad, I want to put you in my corner of this fight. You know, I want you to experience what it's like to walk to the octagon <laughs> and watch your son you oh, know, you in the closest, it. best seat in the house. And I just remember his panic afterward. Dude, you put my life in danger. We got death threats, man. We got all these favelas and all these gangs. They got a $50,000 bounty on our head now. What the fuck are you doing, son? <laughs> and, and all my coaches were so mad that I put him in that type of heat. But, you know, like you said, you know, it was, I just feed off the energy of the crowd. I was just going to call up Tyron Woodley and say, I want to fight for the title and I'm going to, I'm going to take his, his soul. But, you know, I, I started to hear the crowd and I was like, man, I just fucking went through a 15 minute fight with the number two dude in the world. And we left it all out here and you're screaming and booing at me, dude. I just put on an entertaining performance for you guys, you know? So yeah, it was weird. It just, you know, I just had all these thoughts. Like my favorite movie growing up was Home Alone. So I, I you know, I was thinking of that movie when I, when I was, uh, when I was in the middle of that promo. Oh, like, yeah. keep the chains, you filthy animals. <laughs> uh, oh, oh. 
was, I was trying to, I was thinking, as you like Home Alone, I'm trying to think of a reference. I was like, what the hell did you do in that cage that resembled Home Alone, this kid's movie that I just realized? You're right, the filthy animal movie. Before that, I remember either, I want to say the week before or the week after, there was a mega UFC fight. I don't know if it was GSP and Bisming. There was a mega fight set around that same time. And I just remember going on all of the MMA dirt sheets, no matter which one you went to, MMA junkie, MMA fighting, mixed martial arts, no matter where you went, sure dog, you were... Like, if there was eight different headlines, you were eight of them. I mean, you were seven of these headlines. Like, and then there was just the one extra one over here. And then every other one was you, you, you. Even weeks after that fight in Brazil. And again, those Brazil cards, they're, they're fight nights. They're, everyone looks at them as smaller, smart mark kind of cards where they're not the big UFC, 250, 249, 150, whatever. So those are, I watch all of those obviously, but those are also the smaller cards in the, the casual fans eyes where they don't, a lot of them don't really pay attention to what was what those cards are. You took that fight night card and just crapped all over every major UFC event that they had beforehand and after for the next month where the whole internet was just talking about you. So at that point, you had to know that your star was bright at that point, that you're like, um, I just moved up a hell of a lot of brackets. And was UFC treating you that way? Like, were the offices viewing you as stars? Obviously, they were putting it out. We don't uh, uh, accept this behavior and yada, 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 whatever, whatever. Unless you throw dollies at buses, I guess you can't call people filthy animals and get away with it. But were they, were they telling you on your end? Were they viewing you as a star? Or were they, how were they reacting to you? coming off of that yeah it, it was funny to hear their complete you know 180 degree turnaround and and their uh and their emotions with me you know they were talking to dan lambert before the fight and they were like hey doesn't matter what colby does in the fight we're not we're not re-signing and that was the last fight of my contract they're like we don't like him he's boring he has no charisma you know he, de he doesn't sell he doesn't, you know, the fans don't really care for him. So it doesn't matter what happens. He can knock out the number two guy in the world, Damian Maia. We're not going to re-sign him. So, and he didn't tell me this before the fight. So I had to take it in my own initiative. Like, I knew I needed to make something change. You know, I'd already been in the UFC for eight or nine fights, you know, and and, and it only lost one time, eight and one. And um, I knew I needed to make a change. And and I knew I needed to do something dramatic to, to get a career turnaround and, and that pro that promo just so happened to be it. And after that promo, yeah, they were calling every single day. Yo, yo, we want Kobe to fight for the title. We, you know, oh, Tyron Woodley doesn't want to fight you though. He's scared to fight you. Let's just do an interim title. And that's when I ended up getting the interim title with Rafael dos Andros. And uh, they originally wanted to do it in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil, but then they had to move it from Brazil to Chicago because I had so there were so many favelas and gangs in Brazil hitting up the UFC saying. There was a $50,000 bounty on my head, and 100% they would, they would uh, behead me before I made it to the octagon. And they were sending mass text messages and tweets and Instagrams to the UFC. And the UFC is like, yeah, we can't do this. This is too big of a security concern. Like, people legitimately in Brazil want Kobe dead, and the whole country hates him. So, you know, I'm on the no-fly list in Brazil, and, you know, that made my career. And we're on to history. Now we're all about doing big numbers and selling out arenas and, and winning world championships. Yeah, I was about to just go right into that one, too, because um, you're saying they just did a 180 because they're going from saying his actions are despicable. We don't want him in this company no more. Holy crap. He's the public enemy number one in Brazil. 
let's bring him back to Brazil to fight another Brazilian and cash in on this. It's like, wait a second, wh which, which route you going with here? So they obviously tried to go down that route, and I do remember this like it was yesterday. I think it was, it was June 2000, I have June 9th, 2018. I think the Javier Dos Anjos fight happened. And um, they did it for the interim title. How, like the people, when UFC started getting notifications that, hey, they, they're going to kill Colby, was it actually like gang members saying we're going to kill Colby or was it fans like trying to give them tips like don't do this, like this is real, this is real, like trying to save your life type stuff? Nah, it was the, it was the favelas, man. It was all the favela head gang leaders, man. They were, they were all like, there was like, I can't remember the guy's name. We took a screenshot of it. There was like one of the main gang dudes in Brazil that's like, one of the most notorious favela masters. And he had hit up the UFC and, and said those words. I remember screenshotting it and like a bunch of people knew who he was. And, and that was like the, the final straw where the UFC is like, nah, we got to pull it, man. This guy's, you know, too, he's too infamous in Brazil for actually doing bad things and killing people. So we're not going to take this chance. You know, could you imagine if a fighter died under, under UFC's watch? Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> that wouldn't be good at all. <laughs> Yeah, but what, what all the fans would be like, Colby deserves it, Colby deserves it, screw him. But yeah, yeah but no, um, well, I'm glad you're safe. And then we just go, obviously, into the Robbie Lawler fight. You take the Robbie Lawler fight, and you're already next in title contention. I mean, you had nothing to prove fighting Robbie Lawler. You take this fight to save a card, if I remember correctly. And ironically, I said, whenever your next fight was, I was going to be there. Luckily, it was in New Jersey, so I drove all 20 minutes. Uh, thank you for those tickets, by the way. But, dude, that fight... That fight, I actually won money. I put money on you that you would win. <laughs> so thank you again. But that particular fight, you actually broke a record. And this is kind of crazy, the record that you broke, because everybody was like, oh, Colby just lays on people and humps them and blah, blah, blah. They say that about any wrestler or grappler or samba, whatever. But which isn't the case. You grind people out, you use your pace, your cardio, and you just bring them to deep wars and you drown the crap out of them. This particular fight, you didn't use much of your wrestling. I mean, the pace you put on him with your striking literally set a UFC record. Do you remember that number offhand? Was it 600 something? It was like, no, it was like, it was like 532 or 541, which what's really bizarre and ironic is a bunch of people from my hometown in Oregon, because our area code is 541. They're like, oh my God, Kobe, you broke the UFC strikes record and you did it with the same area code that you're from, <laughs> 541. <laughs> they were all freaking out and shit. So yeah, it's pretty funny. <laughs> so I think that fight actually too did you wonders for a lot of reasons because it changed the perception a lot of fans had of you of just being a wrestler. You're just a great wrestler out of Oregon and that's all you are. You have cardio for days and stuff. Now that fight allowed people to see, Holy crap, this guy can strike all day long. And I remember people saying, like, as they were watching the fight that was sitting around me in the arena, they're like, there's no way he, he's going to gas out. He's not going to hold this pace for five rounds. And you are as fresh as, you're probably fresher in round five than you were in one. And it, would, it just blew everyone's mind. I think all the fans were like, whoa. Because I remember seeing all the comments after. That's another thing. That fight, I think, shifted a lot of fans. They, you went from all the trolls on your account to all the fans being like, yeah, Colby's the man. Yeah, yeah, I'm always been a fan of Colby. Yeah. No one can take his pace because fans like to bandwagon jump depending on the last fight you had. But I think that fight did you a lot of wonders, man. So that was awesome to see live. Yeah, man, that was that was a big turning point in my career. You know, I I took that fight on three weeks notice. And and uh, before that and the first week of training camp of that fight for Robbie Lawler, I get headbutt by someone in sparring and I got a nasty cut 
had to get 10 stitches in my eye. And I was thinking about pulling out because I couldn't train. I couldn't do any wrestling, couldn't do any sparring, boxing, anything. All I could do was run before the fight. So that, that fight was a big turning point in my career because, you know, I wasn't supposed to be there. I wasn't supposed to show up, but, you know, I did that for the people. And that's when I came to People's Champ. And the people really respected me because I showed up with no training camp because UFC needed to be saved. Tyron Woodley was scared to fight Robbie Lawler, which I don't blame him. Robbie Lawler's a boogeyman. He's a scary dude. I mean, he's the guy when moms go to tuck their little kids in at night, they're looking under the bed for Robbie Lawler, <laughs> the boogeyman. So, you know, I'm the guy that shows up to the day. I'm the dark, I'm the dark side, and I, I took care of Robbie Lawler. The original boogeyman in MMA was, if I remember correctly, Dean Lister, right? I think so, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't have that on my notes, my man. Okay, so, all right, now that brings us to the main event pitcher that I actually was here for this one. December 14th, you versus Usman. The match at everyone, well, it was supposed to be you versus Woodley forever, but Woodley dodged that fight. I mean, you, you, you tried to get that fight. I mean, we helped you with the Tyquil Woodley match at Russell Pro. You tried every single antic to get that fight. And for, no, for whatever reason, he kept avoiding the fight. But then it backfired. Because now Wood, Wood, Usman slipped in, took the title. You're the interim champion. You big unification match in Vegas. I'm there. I told you I would be there for that. I was there for that. Uh, this Okay, the way I had... See, now I was watching live. And again, this is... Everyone's saying you're biased, you're biased. But again, a lot of fans think the same way. I had that fight. If I remember correctly, I had one, two, and four. If that sounds right. I had you three rounds. Because I remember sitting next to Joey Janela and... Uh, uh, John Hartnett's brother, and I was like, holy crap, I have him up three rounds to one going into the fifth. Even if he just rides this round out, he won the belt. Holy crap, holy crap. And then let's fast forward to the very end of that match. I, I was going to have it two, three rounds to two. You were still going to win. The referee, Mark Garter. I think it was Mark Garter. Was it Mark? Was it Mark Yeah, Garter? Mark not, Mark not so Garter. <laughs> I remember I, he jumped in. So damn quickly. And again, I'm taking my bias out of it. Like from the MMA fan point, that's a world title fight. Like let the fighter get finished. There's, they, they already went to war for 23 minutes. Let the damn thing get finished. Because there's certain fights where I, I was screaming at the TV to stop because it looked like the fighter was going to die in the cage because th th he was getting beat to death. And then there's other times like this where it's like, what the hell are you doing? You just ruined this fight. Mm. Especially in a, a situation like that, where you were, you, even though the scorecards were a little funky, judges are a little weird, you were up, realistically, in the expert fans' eyes, going into that final round. So you let that thing play out. If you, you were still, not only that, I rewatched that the other day. When you were down, you shot, if I remember correctly, you shot for a single leg, like you shot at his leg. You were, when he stopped the fight, right? You were holding him. I shot for a double leg, and... He's hitting me in the back of the head with five continuous shots straight to the back of the head. Not, and even the ref, he comes back. He said, hey, anything uh, above this, that's a nine to something, whatever strike, and those are illegal. If you hit the back of the head, that's a point deduction. Mark Nasso Goddard sitting right in front of us, and I'm on a double leg, and I'm intelligently defending myself. He's hitting me in the back of the head. I'm intelligently defending the back of my head, and he calls the fight, and I stand right up. I'm like, what are you doing, dude? Like, obviously, it's clear you're biased because, one, you're calling fake fouls that aren't there. Let's talk about the liver strike. I kick him in the liver when I'm putting my pressure on him, and I'm, I'm about to make him quit and, and TKO him, 
and he calls a fake nut shot. Oh, okay, there's the first fake foul. On the second one, I barely graze his right eye. He's he's uh, he's selling his left eye on camera. Oh my god, my left eye! Oh, the doctor, come in, guys. Let me get a five-minute break. Momentum shift. Let me let me regain my energy for five minutes, and then I'm gonna go back at Kobe with everything I got. Okay, another fake foul. The second fake foul. So he's calling the fake fouls when they're not there, but then when there's the real fouls right there in front of his face, he's sitting there this close to the fight. And the dude's hitting me straight in the back of the head. And I'm intelligently defending the back of my head and sprawled out on a double leg. And he's calling a TKO to the fight. I mean, it was clear that Mark Goddard was paid off. You know, he he, does, he has a vengeance for me. He doesn't like me, first off, because he's liberal and, and I'm Republican. Second off, you know, he's from London. And, you know, he's a big Darren Till and Michael Bisping fan. And everybody knows, you know, I've had some, you know, some big back and forth with Bisping and, and uh, Darren Till on ESPN. So, you know, he, he just had a bias for me from the second, from the start. And it was, it was clear that he was paid off to, to, for me to, to take a dive and lose that fight. All right, Colby. Uh, now, now we'll slowly take it home here. But um, what you call it, that division, the welterweight division right now is a little foggy because they had Woodley and Edwards scheduled to fight. That fell apart with the whole virus going on and Leon over in his country and stuff like that. You jumped in to save the fight, not even knowing where the location was or anything like that. You volunteered on a couple of days' notice to step in and fight Woodley, uh, whether it be Fight Island uh, or just random uh, Indian burial ground, pet cemetery. You're like, dude, I'll take the fight and stuff like that. And again, then all of those shows wound up getting pulled. But you were 100% game and ready to go? Uh, dude, I stay 100% game and ready to go, my brother. I was ready to go, you know, the day after that fight with Usman. I was ready to go. I was. I had such a big chip on my shoulder, man. I, I just feel like I have some, so much to prove. I feel like before, I was playing with everybody, you know. Hey, you know, I was getting everybody excited, the promos, bringing in the, the pro wrestling psychology into UFC, which you don't see with any other guys. I feel like I was really just playing with everybody, and I wasn't serious before. Now I'm fucking serious. Now I got a chip on my back. Now I'm mad. So now you're going to see Colby Chaos coming to 2.0 when I come back, and it's going to be a whole different story. I will get my belt back. I am the real world champion. I'm the people's champion. I'm America's champion. I'm Donald Trump's favorite fighter. And this year I will be locked in an octagon in the next couple weeks, and I will end Tyquil Woodley, and I will get my rematch with Marty Fake Newsman, and it will be a different it will be a completely different outcome with the level playing field. So that's the final question I wanted to ask you. What exactly is next? Is Now are you gunning for Woodley? Because I'm looking at the landscape, and it almost makes sense right now for you to get a rematch with Usman when you look at what's going on in the division. So what, what's, what's next right now? What's next is, you know, I deserve my rematch. You know, I have a world title, you know. That fight, I was winning that fight. Go any any person with clear eyes, go look at the fight, man. Just go replay it. You know, it's clear as day that I won rounds one, two, and four. I'm up three rounds to one going into the fifth, and I was winning the fifth round. Yeah, I slipped on a banana peel, but this is a fist fight. I go in to fight, you know, and you got to kill me in there. Like, if you don't kill me, that's what I signed up to do. So let me go out on my shield. I didn't get to go out on my shield, man. He abruptly stopped the fight. And, you know, it was a fake fight, fake ref. Fake stoppage, so I want my rematch with Marty Fake Newsman, or, or you know, they're gonna have to bring me another big, big fight, and you know, I'll prove my way to get it back. But you know, I deserve my rematch with Marty Fake Newsman. I'm gonna stand firm until I get it. 
All right. Well, wow. There it is. So, Colby, we want to all thank you from uh, everyone here, myself, Pat Buck. I'll let him sign off as well. But uh, what's going to call it? I know you don't do a lot of these because uh, I follow you religiously. I've seen you on aerials and a couple of others. But you really, I think the world, I can't imagine the amount of podcast requests and interviews that you get sent on a daily basis. So the fact that we were able to get you on, my man, all the respect in the world. I love you. I'll be at your next fight. And I can't, well, then again, as long as this virus passes, then I'll be at your next fight if I'm allowed to be. So thank you so much, buddy. Appreciate you. Thanks, Colby. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Nothing but love and respect, man. I appreciate you guys bringing me out to WrestlePro and, and uh, just everything you guys are doing in the pro wrestling community. I look forward to teaming up with you guys in the near future. I hope so. I, I hope so. can't wait, man. See you soon. <laughs> All right, see you guys soon. Take care. Later, brother. Once again, we want to thank Colby Covington for taking the time to be on the Pat Buck Show. Talked a lot of pro wrestling stuff as well as delving into the world of MMA. So one thing we're trying to do, and I think we're going to explain on next episode, but it's going to be different from other shows, more so delving into the world of promoting or in the world of training. So next week we're going to kind of delve into that. KM doesn't even know what I'm talking about yet because I haven't really fully explained it to him. But we're going to book a show on the air, basically. We're going to get into things, and in a post-COVID world, how do we book a show and show you what our process is and just record that. And you can kind of basically be a fly on the wall for one of our, quote, booking sessions for an actual wrestling event. So I'm Buck Never Stops on all social media. Reminder to like this podcast, subscribe, whatever thing you're listening to, whether it be iTunes or SoundCloud or whatever, please leave a review. We're going to get into a, uh, a constant thing where we'll pick review of the week. Creativity is definitely encouraged. He's Superstar KM. He should probably have said that himself, but last time he didn't plug anything. Just remember the mantra is the same as the social media, and that's Buck Never Stops. Thanks for listening. Buzz killer.